I'd had a really discouraging music teacher who, uh, or through my school life, who told me not to bother writing songs because all the best songs had already been written. Anything that's after the Beach Boys is sucks, he said. Try not to launch a church in the middle of a global pandemic. You can still be redemptive. You can still be, you know, believing in the Holy Spirit, but you have to tackle, we have to begin to tackle things that are affecting our nation, like loss, like grief. When the church time, church's time does come, um, and um, that we can speak a language again that people who have lost something, made, made, it, made it financial, albeit sadly somebody, a loved one, that, that we can be a church where people can grieve and can heal. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Go Wild podcast. This week I'm talking to Matt Hooper about church and coronavirus and all that sort of stuff. When the lockdown first started, Matt is someone that I wanted to come onto the podcast to talk about the church's reaction to the coronavirus. They're meant to launch a church in March called Kingdom Company, but obviously this has all been pushed back, but they are now using places like TikTok and Instagram Live to do church. Matt is also a songwriter, writing for people like Newsboys, and has been within the worship and music game for a while, so I wanted to pick his brains on that. So I hope you enjoy the chat. You doing alright? Yeah, I'm doing good, thanks. Uh, with everything that's Yeah, going. we're getting busy and <laughs> just busying ourselves. And um, yeah, we've been... Um, I'm finishing a book, writing some songs with some people. It's, it's actually kind of, you know, like I think I think I saw a meme early in the process and it was like, lockdown, apart from the gigs, is how a lot of musicians live anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I thought it was really... For me, it hasn't really changed for me. Like I, I, work, I work from them anyway, so it's yeah. just like, as long as I got work in, I'm all yeah, right. Yeah, I do feel like we we have a head start, those of us who are self-employed and so on. So yeah, yeah, yeah I yeah, totally yeah, agree. For sure. Uh, I've done some research into you. Oh dear. Um, <laughs> Apologize. But it's been interesting to get to know you over the past couple of months with everything that you guys have got going on. Right. And then doing research into you, it's been also quite interesting to re actually realize kind of what you've done oh, okay. um, previously right. as well. Um, so you, on your bio, you said that you've wanted to write a soundtrack to something great. Uh, and you've learned that from protest songs yeah. from the 60s. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what like what type of stuff were you actually listening to then? Because I have no idea what protest songs for the 60s yeah, are. Yeah, <laughs> well, a lot of that goes back to my dad and my mum's. Uh, uh, they were kind of gentle folkies who are right. very, I would say, they're not liberal. They're very socialist in... In, in many ways, uh, my mum's a nurse, my dad's a social worker, and they've been involved mm. in caring for people for you know, years and years and years. So the songs that they played were songs of people's stories and, you know, uh, protest songs. So my dad was a big fan of Pete Seeger and Bob Dylan and Johnny Cash. And so the songs that would always grab me when I was a little one would be songs, hard luck stories or um, songs where there was some sort of change uh, going on. Um, and what I, I sort of grew up with this idea that songs can change things. Mm. And so, you know, uh, uh, listening to This Land Is Your Land, my dad's favourite song, a uh, big, big song. Mm. They teach it in schools. It's actually written by Woody Guthrie, you know, a communist. Okay. Uh, with 13 verses, most of the verses, wow. they don't really teach you in schools in America because <laughs> they're too, you know, it's got this one, it's one verse that says, um, I came across a sign and it said no entry, but on the other side, it didn't say anything. So I carried on walking. I just thought it's amazing. <laughs> so there's this idea like that songs can be seeds of, or germs mm. of um, protest or revolution. And um, mm. it's been the same. It's the same in church. I think if we, if we write the right songs, we can, cause and maybe hopefully put a soundtrack to what god wants to do on the face of the earth mm. and i've always been fascinated with those kinds of songs um it's part of my nature actually i'm a bit of a challenger i'm type eight on the enneagram and i'm a mm. I'm, I'm a you know a bit of a punk so that 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 kind of way of approaching music has always been um wow look what music can do like look how it yeah, can yeah. galvanize look how it can shape but look how it can direct us 
into a, a you know a better options for the future as well. It's amazing. Was there anything specific you learned from those people to like write for churches? I think um, working a little bit, having my own band for a long time, is just uh, in churches. I think we beat around the bush a little bit, and um, I think what you learn from Springsteen or Dylan or well, maybe not Dylan, but sort of, sort of Springsteen or um, the Beatles or some of those things is is say it, just say it, mm. just get there. So stop faffing about and just say what you want to say. And um, I've always loved those visceral songs that hit you in the gut. And I mm. like you, when we were around those songs, like I'm, I, I think of some of the songs that, you know, like Born in the USA by Springsteen or there's an old song James wrote called Sit Down. Just mm. think, just very, very visceral sort of communal moments that we just, oh, this is, a, you know, these, this speaks to me in some way. Um, and, uh, I always wanted to write those songs and some of the songs I was singing in church when I was growing up, but I didn't understand. They didn't hit me in the same way. I didn't really get it until mm. people like maybe, De maybe like Delirious began to write some stuff. I could sing If You Love Forever. Oh, I get that. I, I understand yeah. that language. That's really easy for me to understand. And it's also very clear and clean. There's not a lot of faff mm. around it. So yeah, I, I don't think I've apprehended that, but I think as we go on in music, you and I both know this because we write music is people's attention mm. span is getting shorter. So we have to say things quicker. We have to get there faster. Mm. I think that's really exciting. I think TikTok is teaching us to say incredibly important things in nine seconds. Mm. And uh, yeah. I think it can only be a good thing for the gospel because for those of us who write and create, it's going to cause us to be sharper in our focus and clearer in our use of language. And uh, mm. I think that's a good thing. So what's your journey been from listening to songs like the Beatles and Johnny Cash to writing your own? Can you give us like a brief overview of from, you know, that yeah. process to now, like a brief overview? <laughs> sure. Sure, absolutely. Uh, I um, So I grew up, uh, so me and my mate Alan Cox both picked up the guitar in school at the same time. I'd grown up playing trumpet in the Salvation Army and then I started to play in brass bands. And I loved uh, I loved it. But then I realized you couldn't make that much noise with the trumpet. You could only play one note at a time. And, I, and then I okay. discovered rock and roll and I was like, ah, you can make a lot more noise here with, you can sing and play the guitar and then you can have lots of you making noise. This is great. And so me and my friend Alan Cox picked up the guitar at the same time and he learned to play Guns N' Roses, Appetite for Destruction and a lot of the lead lines and I wasn't interested at all I wanted to write songs mm. and so it's, it's funny how we you know we both picked up the instrument at the same time completely different approach and I started writing songs straight I don't even know why I just just came out like that and so mm. um I just always wanted to write songs didn't want to particularly write worship songs didn't really understand that genre you know you remember it's like the late 80s you know I'm, I was born mm. in 75 so 18 you know I'm picking up the guitar at, you know 89 you know, Striper were massive in the, you know, in the US. It's like, <laughs> it's not my jam at all. And in the UK, some really amazing things were happening in 89. Stone Roses, mm. Happy Mondays, New Order, you know, uh, all of that stuff was happening. So I was much more attracted. Pearl Jam, some of those guys mm. in the 90s, I loved all of that. Very punk, aggressive kind of writing. But then as I got a little bit older, something to lead worship, a little bit against my will. I didn't really want to do it, but I understood that I could play and maybe other people couldn't so I just jumped in and then I think it kind of I was potentially a, a quite a reluctant worship leader like I know a lot of worship mm -hmm. leaders are is I don't I didn't understand what God had gifted me to do and I had a view of what I should be doing with it but as usual with God he tends to explode things beyond yeah. our imagination so there's some of the songs for me that I've written that have traveled around the world have been within yeah. the church world and um they've you know and, and I was that was never my intention. But it's that's where I learn as people who follow Jesus that our gifts are, you know, submitted mm -hmm. gifts. So there's something he gave us and then what we do with those gifts is whatever we give back to him. Um but he has a plan and he has opportunities in advance for it. So I've always written my own songs as well and like country songs and I'm putting a mm -hmm. single out in the next couple of months and all of that. Nice. But I also love writing songs for the church uh, 
yeah, that that's definitely more challenging for me personally. Mm-hmm. It doesn't come as easily. Um, the more singer songwriter stuff falls out quite easily, but the the worship stuff, um, yeah, it's been a labor of love. But it, honestly, to see people to help people give voice to their faith, it's just a privilege now. I, I struggled with it in the early days, but I, mm. I um I, I'm a bit older now, and I can see the value of it. <laughs> so you kind of fell into becoming a professional songwriter then like reluctantly falling into it yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I wouldn't call myself a pro- I, I, it's funny professional songwriter no oh, it's funny so I was I came on staff <laughs> at a church in Bradford called Life Church and they yeah. I came on as a um, uh, as a community outreach worker and I was leading worship at the time as well and so I ended up volunteering in the worship department and they they auditioned me for to lead worship and I I wasn't really what mm. I wanted to do but they, they asked me to do it so I did it and then eventually <laughs> after about a year or something of working in the community outreach department I had a I thought I had a better idea of how to run rehearsals than than we were currently <laughs> running rehearsals so I I kind of put my hand up and said look can we make rehearsals better because I'd really like to see my kids of an evening um we don't mm. have to you know. We were doing this thing where we were we were doing uh, special set pieces, and we were instead of picking them from source, we were rehearsing mm. eighteen songs and deciding which of them sounded better. And I was like, "I know. Why do we not do that? Why do we just pick the one that we all like and just rehearse that one? That would save us all about six months of our life." So it was kind of as usual with me. I open my mouth, I put my hand up for something, and. Um, it doesn't always end up where I imagined it was going to go. <laughs> so it was like that. And then obviously I start, me and my buddy Jock started writing songs a little bit in church. And I, uh, he was a songwriter and I, I was like, we've got to help you get these songs out. Okay, what can I do? How can I help you? And then that's how it kind of happened. Mm. And then ended up being the MD for a while and ended up being the worship pastor for a while as well. So it was kind mm. of, a, it was an evolution, I think. Um, although people okay. in music have always gone together for me i can't just do music without helping people and i can't mm. just help people without doing music so i have to have a foot in both camps but yeah i, yeah. I wouldn't call myself a professional songwriter I, I think i'm a i think i'm a decent amateur who hangs around <laughs> with really good professionals <laughs> so as a decent amateur songwriter on a <laughs> i've looked on like on ccli you can never look on song select mm. and you've got 78 songs have i and yeah, apparently. I don't know if they're all actually wow. yours, but there's 70, 70, 78 tracks on there that uh, have you credited wow. on it. Um, but the majority of them, like you said, are collaborations yes. with a lot of people. So it's like, it's not just yeah. you on your own, except for, I suppose, your own stuff. Yeah. Um, how has it, do you prefer writing with other people then? I suppose. Um, I love, so when I first started to collaborate, I hated it. I was very insecure. You know, yeah, like we do, we like yeah. we like our own thoughts. Um, and when we present them and people look in the, if people look vaguely disinterested, it becomes like a mm. massive point of rejection. You think, well, that's it. I'm never going to write another song. And I think we have to, you know, I had to toughen up. Um, and mm. collaboration. I mean, look, we, we both know this, Paul, but nobody's going to get anywhere through trying mm. to do it all on their own. The kingdom of God is collaborative. God yeah. himself is in three persons. That's a tip off. Uh, he loves collaboration he's in community with himself and he shares the best of himself with us and so I think I had a a little bit of a journey to go on but Mm. I think what I love now is I think I'm a little bit older I'm a little bit more secure and I actually enjoy collaboration to the point where like even like yourself the conversations that we've had I'm like that conversation we had Mm. in um, Foundation about a playlist I'm like man I I didn't even know that existed Paul yeah yeah and I would never have known that if we had never met and, and if you'd never come mm. down to the, it. This is so beautiful. And so the opportunity yeah, yeah. for creativity and the opportunity for um, um, exploration and adventure, which is really what excites mm. me, is 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 maximized in collaborative relationships. And so, mm. yeah, there's been some collaborations that haven't worked out, um, but then there's been some others that have been incredibly fruitful and have made some mm. amazing friends from the back of it. Um, you know, Yes, so hope that answers your question. Yeah, yeah. So, was the I'm going to talk a bit about the Newsboys track because yeah. it seems to be one big thing out of an overarching career. Um, how did that come about? Yeah, I, I in my head I imagine it's about 
I think you mentioned your church in Bradford. They have a deal with integrity. Yep. Like, was that kind of how all of that stuff happened? Well, uh, so let's get a let's get it. So we were we uh, life abundant life church was signed with a record label or distribution deal called Authentic Media. I think it was, and right. uh, it was obviously there was a crash. I think two thousand eight. And I think they went under and then we were self-publishing for a long time. And so we didn't make a record from 2007 till about 2009 or 10. But then right. our senior pastor at the time met a lady called Natalie Grant, who most people in the Christian, in American Christian music would know. She's a singer songwriter, but her husband Bernie is a record producer and he now produces Josh Groban and, um, uh, mm. guys like that. Uh, so he, heard a song called name above all names that we'd put out and um he really liked it and through their connection wanted to represent us to integrity in the states because there wasn't an integrity mm. label in the uk i don't think or it was okay. much smaller so we started negotiations with them about 2008 or something and then we ended up traveling over to them Jock and I and Mark Stevens went over, but I think it was about 2008, 2009, made a record with some Nashville musicians. It was unbelievable. Just an amazing mm. opportunity. Josh Stone's bass player, you know, stuff like that. He's just like, these guys are phenomenal. Mm. You know, we're used to repeating ourselves over and over again on chord shapes. And it's like, yeah, they don't even, they heard it first time. You don't have to say anything. They got you, you know. I was reflecting on it the other day. It's just to play with that level of musicians was just so helpful. Yeah. So it started and established an American connection. Um, and right. Life Church's current senior pastor, Steve Gamble, is Americans from Seattle area. So okay. there was always going to be a strong connection with the States. And um, so I flew out, myself and Jock flew out to a an Integrity Songwriters um, retreat in uh, Colorado Springs. And um, they basically do this thing there where, you know, you come and hang out and you do two or three sessions a day two in two mm -hmm. hour, three hour blocks. And um, right very similar to what the industry standard is in Nashville. And so you just, you can get thrown in with random people you've never met before. And the first mm -hmm. co-write I ever did with anybody outside of Life Church was with Travis and Richie. And they knew each other. Right. And um, we pitched songs to each other. You know, we go around a circle and say, has anybody got any ideas? And so I yeah. pitched something and then Richie pitched something and then Travis said, yeah, I got this song. Uh, we believe in God the Father. And we were like, yeah, let's finish that one. That that sounds like it could be a really promising track. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I was so nervous, uh, first mm. track, but it felt like a song. It hung together. It made sense. Mm. You know, you, you're like, yeah, this, this is helpful. And so we sent it into the publisher, a great guy who we're still friends with called Mike Murray who's, I think he's head of publishing mm -hmm. there now. He's an amazing guy. And he said, I like this. I'm going to pitch it to a few guys. So we all went back to our normal jobs. Like I was running mm -hmm. pastoral care in small groups. And um, he said, oh, I pitched it to Michael W. Smith. And uh, he's, mm -hmm. he's interested. And I was like, wow, what does that mean? <laughs> so then I passed on it. It was like, oh, okay, cool, cool. And we were doing it in our churches and people were enjoying it. And, and then I got an email must have been a year or two later. So we wrote mm. it in 2011 or 12, I think. Maybe. Okay. Yeah, maybe 12. And then um, I got an MP4 and on attached to an email with this, the Newsboys version. And the story goes that they were looking for a, what the, you know, the industry call it a crossover song. Something okay. that would hit Sunday morning, but also helps them artistically as well. And okay. so they grabbed that this song is a bit of a last ditch. It's the last song in the album. They obviously had all the track listings <laughs> sorted out. Yeah. And um, and the song took off on radio and um, uh, and was in, in ended up being in 13 weeks, number one in the Billboard charts in the <clears> States. <throat> it was up for a Dove Award. <laughs> I think it, it, it mm. lost out. Fair enough, it lost out to somebody like Lauren Daigle, I think, won that year. And I was like, hey, oh, no right. worries. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, that was 2015. In 2016, it went up <clears> for the Doves again. And I think it got beat mm. by No Longer Slaves. And I was like, that, no worries. <laughs> That's fair enough. But it just took, it just opened up a lot of doors and a lot of opportunities to yeah. go. And um, and they were, it was beautiful to see like homeless choirs singing it in New York. Mm. Um, it got sung at the Atlanta Braves baseball game. Wow. Um, I, you know, 
just even now there's it's blowing up in Spanish on YouTube at the minute. There's like a guy who's done a cover of it, 70 million views on YouTube doing because it translates really well. So it's a really simple yeah. apostolic creed song. So it mm. translates really well in Latin languages. So it's still got a, got a life of its own and um still uh yeah, just because uh, obviously in the UK, you know this, Paul, we, we don't have radio, mm. but in the States, it's no. massive. So I, I was yeah, in the yeah, States yeah. and heard my own song on the radio. That was weird. And people <laughs> in the States were saying, I've just heard your song on the radio. I was like, wow, imagine if that was in the UK, you know, we yeah. don't really have that stuff here. So there's a whole industry out right. there, which I was very naive to, but I've learned about it since. And and um, yeah, it's just been a real door opener and a real um, providence of God moment. And um, the funny thing was, a story I love to tell people is I'd had a really discouraging music teacher who, mm. uh, or through my school life, who told me not to bother writing songs because all the best songs had already been written. Anything that's after the nice. Beach Boys is sucks, he said. So oh, wow. I actually, I actually, <laughs> that's a strong claim. I know, isn't it? I was like, you can't mean that. You can't, you can't be employed by the local authority government and have that point of view. Surely you're in music, for goodness sake. Anyway, so I had the pleasure of bumping into him at a coffee shop once and he asked me where I'd been. And I said, oh, Nashville. <laughs> you know, he was like, what are you doing in Nashville? It's like writing songs. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a little personal thing which I really enjoyed as well. I was I was I was gracious with him, but I really wanted to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah best songs ever been written. Like I believe the best songs haven't been written yet. So, so yeah, man, it's <laughs> yeah, been a fun mine. time. It's been a fun time to that that song's been. What are we in? Twenty twenty. It's still. Yeah. I got tagged in a post the other day from a lady who's, I think she's a Spanish language artist. She's got 250,000 mm. followers on Instagram. She tagged me and Richie and Travis in the post to say, thanks so much for mm. writing this song. And I'm like, and it was like this bluegrass version. I was like, wow. You mentioned about um, your like Life Church Bradford. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so I found an interesting quote from when it was ALM. Oh, uh, yeah. When you were releasing the um, Name Above All Names album. Oh, yeah, yeah. So you said that we want to update the sound, keep it fresh, keep it interesting, not just relevant in the truth that's being sung, but also in the way that music sounds, yes. making it an artistic experience. Yes. Um, I'm, I like this in, because it's, I think that this was in 2010. Yes. I'm interested to know how you've kept that going from 20, like in, it's yes. over a decade now. So how, I think what I written down was like, how do you change your writing style to fit 10 years worth of development in music as well mm. as like production yeah. and all this sort of stuff what have you seen in the last 10 years that yeah I, I think probably I mean I was up for making bold I'm still up for making bold claims I don't think I think I think we have to we have to we have to you know raise some big flags we have to gather mm. behind some big ideas otherwise what's the point you know of just regurgitating um, you know, what's been done before. I don't think there is. So mm -hmm. in 2010, that was probably new for us was yeah. a level of professionalism. We started to pitch the songs into keys that we ourselves enjoyed singing in because the prevailing okay. attitude at the time in worship music is pitched down to the congregation. Yeah, And we went to the States and everyone's like, sack that. Mm. Pitch it. Like if you sing and you, you know, if your voice is alive in that, register that you enjoy singing mm. it's going to move people and we were like ah this is a much better fit for us so i think it's a combination isn't it paul it's yeah, yeah. it's staying hip and staying fresh to what's going on what's moving people what's where are people at right now mm. um and then again collaboration with people who have i'm not a guy who's got i like i love there's lots of things that i love but i i'm that old that i've seen cycles in music mm. So, you know, the 90s revival that a lot of us are in right now, you know, I was there the first time, you know, I, I've reached that stage in my life. <laughs> uh, John Mayer, my kids playing John Mayer. I'm like, yeah, I, listen, that's Clapton. That's, <laughs> that's, not, that's not John Mayer. And that's not even Clapton, that's B.B. King. That's yeah. Freddie King. That's Robert Johnson. So, you know, but I love, I was chatting with my wife yesterday, the, 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 the joy when you first experience that first rush mm -hmm. of learning music or finding out or discovering something. That's obviously, I'm in my second or third rush now. But, uh, but I think the key things are collaboration and the gospel is always going to be relevant. We just have to package it um, well and um, we have to present things mm -hmm. in a really helpful way. So Craig Rochelle's got a quote that says like, 
drums and I think it's drums and guitars have become the new pulpits, you know. And mm. so I, I think we have to, we life church in its so in the mid noughties was very innovative. Yeah. And, you know, I remember getting a call from Paul Scanlon when I was worship pastor there. He invited me into his office to talk about Kanye West. And this is, this is Gold Digger era. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you guys watch Gold Digger last night? We were like, no, Paul, we don't, we don't watch Kanye West. He's like, why not? Why aren't you watching Kanye West? This is 2005. Mm-hmm. He says, you should be watching Kanye West. So he was right. We should be watching Kanye West in the sense of we should be watching what Kanye West is doing. So I think mm-hmm. you've got to lean into the spirit of God. What's the spirit of God want to say to the church? And then production values. How can we get that message across? That's, I'm not going to turn hip hop. I'm 44. Mm. I'm white. I'm very white. <laughs> it's not. It's going to be an inauthentic expression for yeah, me yeah. to try and be Kanye West, right? But I can learn something from Kanye. I can learn mm. something from Jay-Z. I can learn something from Johnny Cash. I can learn something from Dr. Dre. I can learn something from mm. Eminem. I can learn something from... Um, Billie Eilish. I can learn from yeah. these guys. What is it? You know, and it doesn't have to be production values. It can be aesthetic. Yeah. It can be dynamic. It can be. It can be production mm. values. It can be like that. Eight oh eight sounds amazing. Mm. Or you know. So I think if if you just lean in to the experimentation of mm. it all, and for me personally, to lean in and say something brave yeah. is where I come alive the most. It's an interesting so, balance yeah. to try and strike, though, with. Okay. Uh, so, so for me, I yeah. get this a lot because I I openly say I don't listen to a lot of Christian music just yes. because it's not what I like. Yes. <laughs> or I think it all sounds the same. All of that sort yes. of stuff. Yes. And people will not go at me, but it, the question will be raised. Well, you know, you're a Christian. You shouldn't be of the world. That sort of balance yeah. starts coming in. And I'm like, well, actually, like, if you want to reach the world, you kind of got to know what's going on in it. Yeah. How do you find that balance of obviously now with what what uh, with Kanye coming out as now being a Christian and everyone going at him and all, you know <laughs> yeah. all of these sorts of stuff? Um, yeah. Like, how do you find that balance of being aware, especially I suppose when in the gold digger age, like being aware of what Kanye is doing and le- like mm. in p- bringing that into a Christian perspective? Yeah, I think plagiarism. You know, like I just put a little thing out. I've started these little things on Instagram called mm. pay, praise breaks where I'm just doing like 30 seconds or 40 seconds. So I just did a like a goofy version of Use This Gospel of the last record with a buddy of mine who's an amazing sax player, Callum, mm. actually, who you met him. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. and it's a nod to Kanye. It's an homage, but it's not. It's just like, it's like it's clearly two white people, you know, trying to do, you know, it's clearly. Yeah. So I think you have to be aware. But, but I do think, um, here's the thing, there are songs... There are, there's music for our soul mm. and then there's music for our spirit. That's the way I see it. Right. So everything's sacred to God in terms of whatever we give our, not everything's sacred to God. What I mean is I, I don't believe in, I think it's, it's our bodies that we present to God as holy. And so the choices we make, we have to give an account for. Mm. However, there are times where my, a music will move my soul, the mm. soul part of me, my mind, will, and my emotions. But then there's songs that move or music that moves my spirit. Right? And so, for example, this is the way I break it down. Um, I don't listen to a lot of traditional um, Western. Mm. Well, what I would consider, I might get in trouble here, but like white middle-class worship music, it doesn't yeah. move me. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't understand it. Yeah, and I'm and I've had to be okay with that. Mm. But I totally enjoy Ty Tribbett, Kirk Franklin, yeah, um, Israel Houghton when he was around, or mm. he's still around. But like some of those things that he would be doing, and he throw a, he throw a Jackson Five groove yeah. in the middle. He'd, he'd do a reggae version of Mighty to Save. Mm. Yeah, it's 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 we don't have to forsake creativity and innovation. And I think any any genre or any church culture that asks you to forsake innovation mm. i wouldn't be attracted to being part right. of that culture because mm. i i i think your generation are a bit tired of the franchising of everything mm. and um and i think that that is a healthy thing but what i would say is understand that the the music that moves your soul mm. 
but then you still need the music that moves your spirit. And so it can be anything from Fred Hammond mm -hmm. to Darlene Check to whatever it might be. It is anointed. There is a spiritual force at work. Yeah. And um, and there's some stuff secular I, I can't listen to. It's too, it, it affects me too much yeah, and I, yeah. I don't want to go there. But, you know, but I can learn from, mm. I don't sit in my room listening to Billie Eilish. I'm, you know, I'm 44. It's like, it's not <laughs> for me, but I can, I can learn from her and her, and yeah. her producer brother. I can learn from her. But what feeds my spirit is, and I think that's where we have to be honest. We, mm. I think in Christian circles, sometimes we, we park up our artistic tendencies. Mm. And I think we have to be aggressive and say, no, I'm going to go after it. And what I like about you, Paul, what you've done is, okay, I might not like this, mm. so I'm going to do something creative to go and um, fix this issue. Mm. Yeah, and, that's uh, basically how I started. <laughs> Just I, hated I think it's outside. Right. I think it's outstanding. <laughs> I think it's exactly the reason to do something mm. is your complaint becomes... Um, you know, and you're still around Christian music. It's not like yeah, you're yeah, yeah. just chucking stones at things. You, but you're innovating and you're creating and you're offering solutions. Mm. And I, I think that is the way forward. And the same as you mm. in that the reason I started to write songs in worship is because I didn't like the songs we were singing. Yeah, and um, you know, we can come across as arrogant or insincere or whatever, but actually, a lot of great stuff gets done in mm. the church and throughout history when people get a bit discontent with the way things mm. are then i suppose people um get confused like when i say i don't like how worship music sounds that doesn't mean i don't believe it doesn't have a place somewhere right like absolutely i'm not saying that all my stuff needs to be being played in church i'm obviously better than what's going on i obviously know that congregational worship has a place and that all of that sort of stuff and i think that's where the line is kind of for a lot of people get kind of gets crossed um <laughs> Which is interesting because, I mean, even with Young and Free, I think a year and a bit ago, put out this video um, and it they they went pretty creative with it. It wasn't just them running around on a beach, like mm. going, oh, yeah, this is fun. It's about friends or something. Mm. They, went, they tried to do something totally artistic and got absolutely mm. hammered for it because I think mm. they said, oh, you know, if someone wears if this person wears white and has long nails that's depicting a witch and suddenly it's going oh. all over like you know suddenly all over the place they're getting mm. they're being hailed as like a satanic church because oh, of wow. just this one thing yeah and me and my manager were chatting about it and it's like how you know people complain that there isn't enough creativity in worship <laughs> yet someone goes and be creative and then they says go get you know get back in your box yeah <clears throat> so it's yeah. a really interesting like thing of how do you i suppose you're not pandering to that audience so well, I think that's the thing is, I think even in in us in us coming out of uh, Life Church and being called into Planting Kingdom Company in Manchester was there's a group of people that God wants us to reach with his with the gospel message and with mm. his love. And so what's the soundtrack? That's what I think. What's the soundtrack? Because they might not sing. They might not need I Could Sing of Your Love Forever. In fact, mm. I doubt they're going to need We Believe or any of that stuff. They, they're it's God's going to put some new things in the middle of our community. I love that. Mm. I think that that is the sign of a maturing church is when a church begins to express itself artistically. Mm. And I'm up for a bit of borrowed worship from other places and I think we'll always do that. Yeah. But hey, I'm looking for the song that comes from our own community. I'm looking for a fresh expression of of whatever God wants to say. And, and, and that means instrumentation, creativity and approach and i've got to be honest where i am getting excited is in the gospel stuff is in the old school worship leading mm. the old school stuff where we're calling out changes where we're in you know breaking down the song to encourage people and let them understand and to get people singing again on a sunday morning mm. stop it's not a flex for production <laughs> it's a place it's a place where we bring our communal song and worship mm. and so um I say to a lot of like people involved in the Christian music scene, particularly like, please make sure that you're playing music elsewhere as well, because mm. you're never going to fulfill all of your creative um, potential on a Sunday morning. It's just yeah. not going to happen. And I think you guys, your generation has smashed it. I think you guys understand the value of um, cross-pollination, collaboration, mm. multidisciplined jobs. You know, you, you, a great photographer, great producer, you know, now you're doing podcasts. Mm. I mean, for for all the people in the church, that that is very challenging, I would imagine. Yeah. But this is your shot. 
and my kids are the same. This is their shot at mm. doing something. And so we have to take the shackles off people's creativity mm. in the church and stop trying to build these enormous global houses of worship mm. and and just do what God has called us to do in the environment he's called us to do it in, right? Mm. So in the process of setting up a new church then, how's that yeah. been? Obviously, it was meant to launch in March. Yeah. So, so that's been fun, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, yeah. It's um it's hilarious. Um I've I've been asked uh, any advice somebody my, I'm I'm doing some video for an organization and any advice for church planters and I just all I can think of is yeah try not to launch a church in the middle of a global pandemic. You yeah, know, yeah. that's <laughs> It's very solid advice. <laughs> it's the only one I can think of right yeah, now. It's yeah. like, but you know, for in our defense, we didn't see it coming and nobody else did either. So I, I feel slightly justified that it's not just bad leadership that I think, you know, it was a bit of a curveball to say the least. Um, it's been a big adventure, Paul. Mm. I think the, I think I'd come from a place where my job description and my roles and my responsibilities were quite defined. Mm. And, um, I'm now in a position where those things aren't there anymore. And so my usual crutches or my little idols of certainty yeah. are being smashed casually left, right and center, you know. Uh, and um, we're literally, we're, we're following a pattern of building a launch team of around about, mm. well, if we can get anywhere between 30 and 50 people. Yeah. Um, and then we will launch on a, our plan was to launch on a Sunday morning with kids church and to keep the church on the Sunday service with mm. worship and, and word. Very, very simple, very, very stripped back, very collaborative, mm. very um, accessible, um, plain spoken, not difficult to understand, but not diminishing um the need for community and mm. challenge and the spirit of God and all those things that we we all value as Christians. So it's been a, to be honest, it's felt like just an extension of our launch period. So mm. we've, we've been running e-groups online for our launch team. We've been doing this thing called Speed Church on a Wednesday night where mm. we uh, use it as an opportunity to reach people with um, one song, one thought yeah. and one prayer. And it lasts for 15 minutes and then we're done. And then we do a Sunday night online thing using just a couple of iPhones or iPhone and a couple of laptops, mm. you know, nothing, no, no cards or, you know, no 5k hd production rigs yeah, it's yeah. just you know very basic and so we decided to keep it like that for a little while mm. um and then hopefully we launch either the back end of 2020 or earlier in 2021 i think we all have to figure out how mm. that what that looks like coming up don't we yeah i mean so in this same interview in 2010 you said uh in order to be relevant you need to keep changing to keep evolving and growing and that's absolutely crucial to what we do the world is yep. changing so fast generations are coming through and we just want to be relevant and get the good news of jesus christ to as many generations as we possibly can yeah. and i i look at that and i look at what you guys are doing with kingdom company online doing the speed church doing the 30 second worship moments doing <clears throat> all the other stuff that you're doing yeah do you think because you've been involved in a bigger church leadership for a while, but this is the first time you kind of get to run mm. the whole thing. Mm. You're not really connected to anything bigger either. Like it's not like an offshoot of another church. Right. Um, is there less pressure on you to be experimenting with these things on how church looks, especially in the current times and like, than if you were part of a bigger organization? Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on the organization. I think we're at a stage of life now like I'm really grateful for the for what, what we learned at Life Church. Like I said, we learned some. I mean, the, the the settings and the environments that we got to be a part of. I got to go on tour to mm. all over the world. Got to travel. Got to see churches in different places. <laughs> learned some things that I'd love to do. Learned some things that I'd not love to do. And they're all valuable experiences. But there there was a there was an expectation of expansion at Life Church, mm. and that is a. That is still, I mean, we've been out now for two years, but that is, we still believe in that. In fact, that's why we left is because we believe in the expansion of the kingdom of God mm. so much. But the methodology, it's just such an amazing time to be alive. It's mm. just an amazing thing. With 6 million people probably online right now, Yeah, nobody's going anywhere. And pastors are, you know, thinking TikTok is just for dance parties. And mm. it listen, I mean, it's like we have to go early on things. Mm. The church, 
was late to rock and roll. You know, the church was late to drum kits. Yeah. The church was late to inspirational preaching. The church was late to production. It's like, please can we be early mm. for once in the 21st century <laughs> and maybe grab a hold of, you know, some of these things that are being offered us, TikTok and so on. Mm. Um, just, there's just the opportunities for connection and, 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 um, are huge. Mm. So yeah, I do think being a part of Life Church was helpful. And the reason that we did not partner with a super established denomination or a group of churches is because we wanted the flexibility to evolve. Mm. Because I think it would be unwise. It's like signing in a six album deal. Why would you do it? You know, you <laughs> yeah, wouldn't. Because if you think about it, you're going to owe that record company a lot of money mm. and nobody knows what the future of the music industry looks like. So yeah. I think we'd rather be Chance the Rapper. See if we can win a Grammy without a record contract. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sweet. What do you think is the most important things right now for a church to be doing like in this season? Yeah, it's a great question. I think the most important thing is to, at the minute is to look after the people who are in their fellowship, in their community. I think, um, I, I Obviously, we're not the first responders in many ways, mm. although we are important. Our first responders are, you know, the people in the NHS and and the retailers. And so our, our support needs to be to them but our, our, and to the people in our community who will be isolated and who will be feeling fragile or feeling or dealing with all kinds of mental health challenges. Mm. But I think what the work that Claire and I are trying to do is in preparation for... Um, a repair job, if you like, on mm. society. So I am trying to connect with as many people in healthcare as I can. Mm. Um, I'm trying to connect with, um, you know, people in around the world in churches to find out what they're doing and how they might meet again and how we might do that well. Mm. But, I, but I think our first response has to be to the people in our local community that we can love and support, knowing that when we do get together again, is that we're going to have to tackle things like loss mm. and grief and um, some trauma, which I think historically churches have shied away from in some ways. Mm. But I would love the church of the future to become literate in talking about those things. You can still be redemptive. You can still be, you know, believing in the Holy Spirit, mm. but you have to tackle, we have to begin to tackle things that are affecting our nation, like loss, like mm. grief. Like it's going to be a big deal, and um, I, I I want us to build and be prepared for when the church time church's time does come, um, and um, that we can speak a language again that people who have lost something mm. may may it be financial or be it sadly somebody a loved one that that we can be a church where people can grieve and can heal. You've mentioned like being in connection, like in contact with your church community mm. at the moment. Um, how how did you go about doing that while being so se like separated from people? Um, yes, I suppose that's kind of a challenge right now. Is huge trying to keep a community while being so separate. There's only yeah. so much you know, like a live stream in someone's living room can do to make them yeah. feel a part of a church. Absolutely, um, I think you're quite right, Paul. There's, there is only so much we can do, but uh, we have the Holy Spirit who's able to do more than we can, and so. Um, what I try and do is, this is um, the way that I would be wired. I've got around, loosely around 50 or so people who are connected with us right now. And so I try, I've tried, we, myself and Claire, have tried to build up personal relationships, obviously, with each of those people. And we try to know who and how they like to be connected to. And so some people are WhatsAppers, some people are Instagrammers, some people are text messages, some people are phoners, and some people are Zoomers, some people are, Snapchat is, you know what I mean? It's, mm. There's a way that there are connective options for each of us to reach out to each other. But uh, I think it's being aware and being cognizant and saying, hey, how are you doing? And can I mm. do anything for you? I think that's, we started these e-groups with with our launch team and mm. we pray and we gather around scripture and then we we prophesy and pray over each other and we say, can we do anything if we... If we can do anything for you, mm. let us know. And we've been able to help some of the team with shopping and nice. and some of that has been just a just a, it's been great to be able to do that. Mm. Um, and because we're a smaller community in the sense of, you know, we're not 
spread across locations. We don't have multiple church buildings. Mm-hmm. It's a lot more manageable to do. It's like having a giant life group right now. Um, yeah, I was going to say, the- I suppose if you're part of a bigger church, it would be a lot harder to try and yeah. maintain these things. Whereas you're only small and just starting out, you already kind of built up a team anyway. Yes. And the wonderful thing about the launch team is they're, they're mostly pioneers, in the UC, so mm-hmm. they've already got a certain mindset of, um, you know, rolling with some punches, moving locations, pivoting, improvising. Mm-hmm. And so they're quite a robust bunch of guys, and a lot of them are really mature in God. So mm-hmm. um, they understand, they've been instinctively, they've reacted and responded really, really well in this time. Mm-hmm. But we just wanted to create touch points for them weekly that they can come into e-groups and zooms and calls and stuff so we've just started to do that uh and then like i say just to respond to people's financial need where we can as well and support people i mean you know this paul is this is going to be a big process Mm. and i I wonder where we will be in two years and what the church Mm. will need to respond to later because there's going to be some financial ramifications Mm. and there's going to be some health ramifications (laughs) and so i think we have to keep leaning into the guidance Mm. of the holy spirit as to what we do next so off the back of that, do you think there's any lessons that the church has one already learned and slash will learn that come the end of this or through this mm. process? Because I mean, one of them is uh, for me, I've seen a lot of churches. I saw the Church of England do a live stream like church service. That's something yeah. that I never thought I would see in my life. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, like they're obviously learning more about technology and the powers that it has. Is there... Uh-huh. So it's like, what lessons have you seen churches learn and what do you think overall, like moving forward out of this time, do you reckon we can take into that? Well, I'm only going to go on my perspective and in no way do I have a handle on it all. But I think the lesson from scripture that I keep coming back to that I hope we will, that I am trying to lean into and I see it as a great sense of encouragement for all of us who are pioneering is that um, there's a great, passage of scripture in Acts 16 and the apostle Paul is trying to figure out where to go next and um, it it says in scripture that Paul tries to go to Bithynia but the spirit of Jesus would not allow him to go there the fascinating piece like the Holy Spirit stops us going to places I think it's amazing and then he tries to go to Asia I think it is and the Holy Spirit did not allow him so you know you imagine being in that team he's tried a couple of new things and they've fallen flat and so there, he has a vision in the night from a man from Macedonia calling him over to Macedonia. And I did a little study through scripture and there are at least three, if not four churches, that major churches that were planted because he followed the leading of the Holy Spirit and didn't just pioneer in his own way. Mm-hmm. And he, they, they planted the church in Corinth. They planted the church in Thessalonica and they planted the church in Philippi. Obviously, we get the books, the Corinthian books, the Philippian book and the Thessalonican books. We get those books from from that. And the provision of God was in that dream. The direction of God was in that dream. And then the provision of God was in his relationship. So he met a lady called Lydia, who was a businesswoman, Mm -hmm. very outside of the paradigm of a Jewish rabbi or a Jewish Sadducee. And she opens all kinds of doors for him. She gets saved. And busts all kinds of doors of influence for him to be coming into these new communities. So my prayer is, as much as we feel like Corona is shutting doors, mm. actually there's there is going to be a place for all of us as church leaders where the Holy Spirit is going to lead us and guide us into opportunities and relationships that advance the kingdom of God for the future. Mm. So those two things have been huge for me in the church planting journey is the relationships, mm. relationships. The kingdom is relational. Everything's relational in the kingdom. So you have to be a relational person. You have to be a good friend. You have to be up and about and saying hello to people. You have to be saying hi to folks. I hope the church doesn't retreat. And then the second thing is wherever God, was it wherever God guides, God provides. And so Mm. we've seen that in Manchester as we've stepped into that great unknown. The provision of God has been exceptional, both in relationships and um, and in resources. And so I hope the church... For, of the future will lean into the power and direction of the Holy Spirit mm. and um, not necessarily on a game plan um, and a five-year plan for this, that, and the other, but it is led by the Spirit. 
and infused by the Holy Spirit. So that would be my hope for the future. Mm. So when you look back over your career in music and now, um, how do you judge if it's been successful in what you set out to do? Like when I said before, you wanted to write songs that are, um, what was it? What did you say? I can't remember. Uh, you wanted to write a soundtrack to something great um, and also in, you want to be relevant and keep changing and keep evolving. When you look back over that, how do you measure if you've been successful in that? Well, it's a good quote. I think probably, if I can be contentious, say probably more important than what I said about <laughs> things is what God's asked me to do, you know? Yeah. So I feel like um, I'm pleased that that's 10 years ago and I still feel the same. Yeah. I'm, I, I don't, I'm not like, I don't recognize that guy. I'm like, yep. Yeah. I probably say it a little bit stronger now than I would have done mm. then. But have I been obedient to what God asked me to do? Um, that was what I would measure. Mm. And did I do what God asked me to do? And the older I get, the other question is, did you do it when he asks you to do it? Mm. So I had a history in my, I'm trying to shake this habit of resisting God a little bit, mm. of being afraid or fearful. And I'm trying as I get older to respond mm. faster and to be more, downright obedient because when you're 18 and you've never heard God speak to you, mm. you can be potentially forgiven for, you know, having a wrestle. But when you're my age and God's been speaking to you all his life, I really have no excuses to be questioning God. He's led me through. He's led my family through. He's provided for us so many times and continues to do so. So I believe that um, I, that's what I hope is that I can be in the future more responsive and and more brave and more bold and more courageous and and faster and quicker in my uh, reactions thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the go wild podcast you can find all the links to the artists in the description below as well as a link to connect radio i host a two-hour new music show where my aim is to help you find your new favorite artist as well as having all the new songs from the guys you already love if you've liked this episode then please feel free to give us a rating on where you've listened to this and also subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode